Hello there, and welcome to episode 10 of the Biome Podcast. We have finally hit the double digits. I am Graham, and this is the podcast all about zoology and ecology. We didn't get a community suggestion for this episode, so I figured I would talk about a strange animal for a few minutes. There isn't enough information about this animal to give it a full animal spotlight, sadly, just enough for some amusement. So let me just mention the species known as Acanthinus armatus. It's a deep water fish and it usually it's usually found at depths between 1,100 and 4,500 meters or 3,600 and 14,800 feet. They are a flabby fish, which is actually quite common at such depths, but they do have spines on their nose and gills. This might account for the first part of their common name, which is bony-eared. These fish have the lowest brain-to-body ratio. This means that their brain takes up the smallest percentage of their body compared to any other vertebrate. Now, the onus portion of the scientific name in Acanthinus um, could either refer to hake, which is another type of fish, or donkey, which is where the second portion of the common name likely comes from. The common name is the bony-eared ass fish, which I think would make a very amusing insult. Um, I also personally find it very funny, but that's basically all we know about this creature so far, since it lives at such extreme depths, it's sadly hard to study. Now, if you or anyone you know have um, any site that you think people should be following, please let us know. You can leave us a voice note on Spotify, use the contact form on our website at www.biome.media or send us an email to questions at biome.media. Okay, in the last episode, I asked a trivia question. A Flemish giant is another name for what animal? I received some great answers, but the quickest three with the correct answers and the ones I want to congratulate are Charlotte Maria, Stephen Michalchuk, and Sarah Wood. Congratulations to all three. A Flemish giant is the largest breed of rabbit, topping out at 10 kilos or 22 pounds. They are known as a utility breed, raised for their fur and their meat. The males, known as bucks, reach maturity at about one to one and a half years of age, whereas the females, known as does, reach maturity at about one year of age. As for this week's trivia question, let's see who can answer it. I will give a shout out to the first three people who send me an email with the correct answer. Make sure you include your name in the email as well as your answer. You could also go to www.biome.media and use the contact form on the site to submit your answer. Now, for the question. Which is the only animal in the world to have four horns? Be sure to send your answers to questions at biome.media or again, you can go to www.biome.media and use the contact form. Again, that question is, which is the only animal in the world to have four horns? 
I just wanted to remind you that you can visit the site and sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss a single episode, or you can read our field notes while you're up there. So, let's see what's in store for today's Animal Spotlight. Hello and welcome to this episode's Animal Spotlight, the section where we explore what we know about the life of one of this world's fascinating creatures. Well, this is our 10th episode, which is a surprising milestone for me. I have been looking back at the previous episodes and I realized that in episode 1 we looked at African elephants, both the forest and savannah species. In that episode, I said that we would do a separate episode on the Asian elephants. So I figured it was about time I made good on that promise. So without further ado, let's jump right in. The Asian elephant is somewhat ironically known scientifically as Elephus maximus. It is ironic because it is significantly smaller than its African counterparts. The name was actually given by Carl Linnaeus in 1758. He had been describing the Sri Lankan subspecies, which is the largest subspecies found. It wasn't until 1940 that the other two separate subspecies, the Indian and Sumatran, were actually considered subspecies. Prior to that, they were considered their own separate species. Since Carl Linnaeus described the Sri Lankan subspecies first, the other two species were incorporated into it. Hence why the species has the name Maximus, even though it is again substantially smaller than its African counterparts. At the time though, it was the largest Asian elephant species. Now, anyone who looks at African and Asian elephants side by side can tell quite quickly that they look very different. Surprisingly, they are only remotely related and aren't even considered to be in the same genus or grouping of species. Let's take a quick dive into the difference between African and um, Asian elephants. One of the most obvious differences apart from the size is the much smaller ears of the Asian elephant, specifically when compared to the massive fan-like ears of the African elephant. Not all Asian male elephants have tusks, and the females never do, whereas both male and female African elephants can have tusks. There are some bigger differences that show that they aren't as closely related as most people think. For starters, Asian elephants have one fewer rib than the African elephants, with an average of 20 pairs. African elephants therefore have an average of 21. Also, the tooth shape is very different between the Asian and African species. Asian elephants have a compressed diamond shape to their teeth, whereas African elephants have a sloping shape to theirs. This is actually where the African species scientific name of Loxodonta comes from. Head shape is another pretty obvious difference. African elephants have a fairly flat forehead, whereas the Asian elephant has a much more rounded head with two pronounced hemispheres or domes on the top. The last difference we will touch on, excuse the pun, is the trunk. 
African elephant's trunks end in two projections that act as fingers. It kind of looks like a sock puppet's mouth. However, the Asian elephant's trunk ends in only one of these points on the dorsal or top side of the trunk. This point uses the blunt ventral side of, uh, as the counter when gripping items. We'll look more at the trunks in a few minutes, but those are the main differences between the African and Asian elephants. Now, Asian elephants are massive creatures that show sexual dimorphism. This means that there is a difference between the sexes. The difference in this case is the size. Males are generally larger, standing about 2.75 meters or about 9 feet tall, whereas females stand about a foot shorter at 2.4 meters or 7.9 feet tall. As for weight, the males usually top out at about 4 tons, whereas the females hit about 3 tons. The trunk's length varies between 1.5 to 2 meters or 4.9 to 6.5 feet depending on the subspecies and the age. An interesting fact about the Asian elephant's trunk is that they have up to 60,000 muscles. A human just has or has just more than 600 muscles in their entire body. That is almost a hundred times more muscles in their trunk than in the entire human body. Just let that sink in. The entire human body. Elephants use their trunks to help them suck up water for drinking, pick up or touch objects, trumpet warnings, and even to greet one another. The Asian elephant is highly adaptable, inhabiting numerous um, habitats from grassland to forests to scrublands. At one point, they were found throughout Southeast Asia, all the way from China to Iran, as well as on the islands of Sri Lanka, Borneo, and Sumatra. However, they are now only found in a small percentage of their original range. The significant drop in range is due to habitat loss and limiting herd movements through artificial boundaries, like borders. The Asian elephant is known as a crepuscular animal. This means that they are most commonly active during the twilight hours. Being as large as they are, they require a lot of food, as much as 150 kilograms or 330 pounds of food per day is eaten. They are also known to feed on at least 112 different plant species. This makes them a significant seed disperser for plants, um, which makes them a keystone species in their habitats. It can, the seeds that they eat um, can pass through their digestive tract unharmed. And much like their forest elephants in Africa, their seeds are then, that they eat are then excreted into, in fecal matter, which provides a warm, high-nutrient starter for the seeds to germinate in. While bulls reach sexual maturity between the ages of 12 and 15, they start going through a period called must as young as 10 years of age. Now, anyone who knows too much about um, elephants know that must is a terrifying um, period to meet an elephant in. Must is an annual occurrence for elephants and is found in African elephants as well. It is only found in the males. 
and it is a period of time when the bull's testosterone levels can increase by up to 100 times. This makes them highly unpredictable as well as highly aggressive. They will fight one another to get to a cow in estrus, which is the period when the cow or female is ready to mate. Their gestation period is about 18 to 22 months. Very rarely will a cow give birth to twins, but it has happened before. It is much more common to see single offspring. They usually weigh around 100 kilos or 220 pounds. Once the baby is born, the female won't breed again until the baby is weaned, which could mean upwards of five years after the last breeding. This means that their reproductive rate is a, as a species is very low, which is a contributing factor to their low population. Like most animals, the females produce a pheromone to help males find them. What's interesting, though, is a major component of their pheromone is also found in insect pheromones. But as far as I can tell, there is no crossover between the two. It's just a major component. According to a study in 2008, half of the world's zoos population of elephants are in European zoos. Sadly, zoo-bred elephants seem to have a significantly shorter lifespan than their wild or even their wild-caught cousins. The study suggested that this is due to the stress and obesity of the zoo-bred elephants. However, even wild-caught elephants have a shorter life expectancy than those living in the wild or those living in protected areas in Asia. For a species listed as endangered on the IUCN red list, these stats are very unfortunate. But what do you think? What suggestions do you have for helping the population without putting undue stress on the individuals to cause such a short lifespan? Let us know by leaving a voice note on our website or on the Spotify app, or send us an email by using the contact form on our site. And that is it for today's Animal Spotlight. Let's see what's in store in the technical section. Now it's time for the technical section of the episode. The idea behind this section is to highlight um, some sort of concept, theory, idea, process or pathway in the world of zoology or ecology. Today, I thought we would step into the world of animal behavior and look at something elephants are known for, altruism. In biology, altruism is the behavior of one individual that increases another individual's fitness while decreasing the fitness of the original individual. In biological terms, an organism's fitness is defined by its ability to have offspring. Organisms that are able to produce more are considered to have a higher fitness. As for factors affecting this number, it is the entire life of the organism. For example, the food the organism eats could affect the energy levels of the organism and the genes the organism has, including any genetic mutations. Some mutations may help the animal, like the dark coloration in the peppered moth, if you remember episode one of the podcast while others may be detrimental, like albino animals. Albino animals are generally less successful 
due to the fact that they are easier to spot by predators and prey. Fitness is affected by interactions with other animals of the same or different species. When adult elephants or bison enclose their young in a protective circle to face off against predators, fighting the predators could significantly and permanently affect the animal's fitness. Fitness is an attempt to quantify how successful an organism might be throughout its life. So what does this mean for altruism though? It means one animal increasing the chances of another animal to procreate, be it by protecting it, feeding it, or numerous other ways, while decreasing the, originals chan uh, the original animal's chances to procreate. There are two different forms of altruism, so let's have a look. The first type is obligate altruism. Obligate altruism is when the specific animal has or could have a permanent decrease in fitness. An example of this would be when male baboons protect the group by, um, from predators chasing them as the troop retreats. The males could be seriously injured if not killed while fighting predators. Another example would be the worker bees in colonies. They give up their entire right to breed so that they can take care of the colony. There are some species of arthropods and even amphibians where the mother will allow herself to be eaten by her young to give them the best start in life. The interesting thing about this though is that it isn't technically considered true altruism since the mother and the young are related. So it benefits her genetic line to help her offspring. I'm glad this isn't a thing for humans though. Obligate altruism has even been found in single-celled organisms. Some species of amoeba are single-celled for most of their lives. If the food in their environment becomes scarce though, they seem to congregate together and form a multicellular body in which some individuals will sacrifice themselves to allow the rest of the cells to survive. Unlike obligate altruism, which has a permanent decrease in the, altru um, in the altruistic animal's fitness, there is also facultative altruism. Facultative altruism is when the decrease in fitness is only temporary. An example of, faculta of facultative altruism would be walruses adopting orphans who have lost their parents. This one is a little more indirect as uh, than being maimed or killed. Raising a young animal, especially a young mammal, regardless of species, can be a very energy intensive operation. So to raise an orphaned animal that you aren't related to is to agree to make huge sacrifices, especially since it could affect the adult's ability to breed for a season or two at least. Another example found in a species of fish found near the Antarctic. Um, they live in social groups and build nests to lay the eggs in. If the parents of the brood are removed, an unrelated male will likely move in and continue caring for the brood. This means turning the eggs regularly, making sure fungus does not grow on them, and even protecting them from predators. There is currently no known benefit for the unrelated male. 
Also, vampire bats commonly regurgitate blood from their nights of feeding to share with sick or injured individuals in the roost. There is a smaller subset of facultative altruistic behaviors called reciprocal altruism. This is where an individual is altruistic in a way that only temporarily decreases their fitness with the expectation that the behavior will be reciprocated somewhere down the line. The theory behind this type of altruism is that it arose because it was beneficial for the individual to um, to almost have a favor in their back pocket. So if they were to ever find themselves in the same situation or even a similar one, they will be able to get the help as well. Scientists have tried exploring this theory in detail and it is part of where the game called The Prisoner's Dilemma came from. In the game, you have two prisoners, both of whom are being asked to rat out the other. There are four possible outcomes. One, both prisoners A and B give evidence against the other, so they both go to jail for two years. Outcome two is that prisoner A gives evidence, but prisoner B does not. In this outcome, prisoner B goes away for four years, and prisoner A gets immunity. In outcome three, the opposite happens. Prisoner B gives evidence and prisoner A doesn't. So prisoner B gets off free and prisoner A goes away for four years. The last outcome is that neither of them give evidence and they both get off free. At the moment, assuming neither prisoner can communicate with the other, nor know if the other is giving evidence, which outcome do you pick? It's a similar issue with reciprocal altruism. Do you risk yourself having lower fitness, even temporarily, or do you make sure that you take care of numero uno in the moment? Some species show reciprocal altruism. For example, cleaner fish. The cleaner fish clean the mouths of the predators as well as their skin, while the predator, like a shark, doesn't eat the fish and will even protect the cleaner fish by chasing off other predators. It is also seen in animals giving warning calls. The calls alert the predator to the presence of the animal giving the warning, thereby giving the rest of the group time to get to safety. Groups like birds, mongoose or monkeys will cycle through which animal is on guard duty, showing reciprocal altruism. That is it for this technical section. What do you think of altruism? Let us know by contacting us on the website at www.biome.media and clicking the Contact Us page. There you can leave us either an email or you can leave us a voice note and it will get played in a subsequent episode. And that is the end of the show today. But before we head off, I just want to remind you of the trivia question for this episode. Which is the only animal in the world to have four horns? Be sure to send your answers to questions at biome.media 
or you can go to www.biome.media and use the contact form to get a shout out and show all of your friends how knowledgeable you are about the natural world. Also, make sure you visit the site and sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss a single episode and feel free to read our field notes while you're there. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. They are always appreciated. I hope you have a great two weeks ahead of you and I will see you in the next episode. I am working hard on some new stuff for everyone, which is quite exciting. Until we are ready to announce it, though, you may have to wait a bit. For now, though, don't forget to ask questions. It is the foundation of science, after all. Thank you.